don't mess with it. Don't overthink it. Just make sure that you have a process, you have it defined. And if you have no idea what we're talking about or have no processes in place, (laughs) I'm hoping we've got some great info for you today about how we do it. And hopefully you can start making some changes today in your business. This is episode eight, an inside look at our design process. Hi, friend. Hi, Kate. How you doing? I'm great. Good. I'm also great and super excited to jump into this topic because I'm a nerd and I love systems and processes and getting shiz organized. And this is a topic where we do see pretty closely eye to eye. I know we've had other topics like the design and business tools we use in episode three where we have a lot of differences and things like that. But I think today is going to be a pretty solid look at how you and I both run our businesses process-wise for full-service clients, and we're, we're pretty aligned with that, as it were. Yeah. No, I think we've ta- we enjoy talking about our process, and um, I think they've actually gotten even more similar as we've I agree. <laughs> known each other and gotten to understand how we do things. Um, so I think it's important to start with why a design process is so important to have. Um, I think it's fine, as I just mentioned, to refine your process and to try new things, but also being careful not to change it so often that you don't actually have a process that you adhere to. I think having a process that you can clearly outline for a client helps them understand what to expect, and that helps them gain confidence in you from the very beginning. I totally agree. And you're right about you know, taking the time to refine it and hone it and fine tune it. But I will say a lot has changed and evolved in my business since I started. You know, a lot has changed with how I bill and how I manage time and things like that. But my processes have stayed pretty much the same since day one, probably have been tightened up a little bit, reworded to make it clearer for clients. Yes. Um, I think the process too is one of those things where there are a lot of designers saying, oh, I can't compete with cheap e-design services that are out there or with things like Wayfair or, or One King's Lane, you know, the, the ability to get air quotes, like free design services at every shop around. And some people feel challenged by it. And I think that your process is the place where you can set yourself apart and you could really charge premiums. And I have this, I don't know if you would call it a mantra or just, you know, it's not necessarily a mission statement, but it's this idea of being boutique. And I think um, in your process, if you can be boutique, and I'll explain that here in a second, Um, that is the difference that will set you apart. So to me, being boutique is sprinkling extra unexpected touch points and client care throughout the process. Um, There are a lot of companies that that do this. And one that comes to mind is my vet. So we... vet. My vet, yes. I'm so so intrigued to hear about this. So we recently sadly had to put our little kitty down and... I've never had to put a pet down before, so I didn't know what that looked like. And it was bittersweet, but he was very old and it was his time. But the next week I got this, absolutely, I have it saved. I don't know where it is at the moment, but I have it saved. It is the absolute sweetest 
condolence handwritten note from the vet himself, not his assistants, not the front desk lady, the vet himself sat down and handwrote me a note to say, I'm sure life at the house is different for you right now. And I just, I mean, it, I didn't think it was going to be that sad, but then when I read it, I was just like in a, a puddle. Yeah. <laughs> so there was that. And then a few weeks later, I got a letter from Texas A&M University saying that the vet had donated um, in his name and in his honor um, an amount of money um, to the the vet school there, which is where he went to school. And I just, again, I was like a mess. Aww. I'm like, that is being boutique. That is why I will never go to another vet. Um, that is incredible. Yeah. That I is why they have a million five-star reviews. Yeah. yeah. So those are the kinds of things that are unexpected touch points that you could sprinkle throughout your process. So as we go through our process today, I'm going to just mention a few of the ways that I build in being boutique throughout the process. And I'm just realizing there's one more that I haven't put in here, but one of the ways I'll just mention it is when I'm onboarding a client, I find out when is their birthday. And, I do the same um, thing and yes. send handwritten birthday cards. Yes. Very nice. And you can make it whatever it is, tailor it to your client. You know, if this is a big client um, and a big project, like send them to dinner, send them gorgeous bouquet of flowers. Um, if it's a small little project, you know, send them that handwritten thing, you know, whatever it is, find a way to celebrate them, let them know that they're being seen and you appreciate them. Um, there's some other ways, but let's dive into the process. Um, and we'll mention the being boutique things as we go. Um, Leslie, I know you've got some things that you do too. So feel free to plug those in as we, as we go. Um, why don't you talk about how, I know that there are some things that um, are, so you have, I have seven steps in my business. You have three? Phases. Phases. Okay. I call them phases. And then there are steps within that to get us to the end. But yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting is like, you have your seven steps. I have my, I guess, 10 steps in three phases. It yeah, all yeah. ends up the process looks very similar throughout and the results end up really similar. So what I love about being your own boss is that you can really fine tune and tweak these steps, these phases, these processes to work for you and also present beautifully to clients. So they understand your process. And there's, again, there's not a right and wrong way to do this, but I do think there is a logical way that a lot of designers do things similarly to get solid results every time. So the reason I have three phases, my phases are phase one is design, phase two is ordering, and phase three is installation. So the reason I do have those phases and not just here are my 10 steps is that that is how I bill. So the design phase is build one way, ordering is kind of the next natural phase of the project. And then installation is phase three. And sometimes that billing does look a little bit different. So for me, those are natural breaking points where a project could end. Not that you want it to, but some clients only want the design phase. They don't want us to order or implement or install. Mm -hmm. So that's been really helpful in my business, having these three kind of higher level phases. And I even have a fancy schmancy little graphic I share with clients. And I've called my three phases our project pyramid. And if you think of a pyramid where it's really heavily weighted on the bottom and gets smaller and smaller towards the top, phase one design is at the bottom. It's a hell of a lot of money for clients. It takes time. And it's kind of like the bottom of the iceberg 
where there's so much meat there, but you don't see it. You don't see the results. Uh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. really have to stick with it. Phase two ordering lands on top of that. Things are starting to come together. They've already spent the money. It's coming to fruition. And phase three installation is the little tip at the top of the pyramid. It's the icing. It's getting everything put together and it completes the pyramid. You can't just do phase one and expect to have a successful project. You really have to see things through to all three phases. So I use that visual to explain to clients why design costs so much and they feel like they're getting nothing from it because I get it. You've just spent a lot of money and you feel like what, what's happening. I don't have any of the things and it's, it's a hard, I think it's a hard place for clients to be when mm -hmm. they want the results and they know you're working behind the scenes, but they can't see a lot of the tangible goodness of that yet. Yeah. So design phase, I, stick I with it question. through to the top of the pyramid. I have a question. Where does construction for you fall in those phases? Installation. That to me is, oh. yeah. So maybe that is a little bit different than yours. So phase one, the design, there's four steps. We do our initial paid consultation, which I call a design jumpstart. We get everything signed. We get payment. We kick things off. Step two is we do our trade day and site measure and a sort of concept presentation. And we'll dive more into the detailed steps. Step three is when we do all the design planning behind the scenes, get ready for the proposal. And step four is the proposal presentation meeting. And then from there, we jump into ordering, which is just one step placement and tracking of orders. And then I consider installation as everything to actually make it happen at the end of the project, supervising okay. construction. So I say that's a high level look at what you do. And we do. Yes. Yeah. So we basically do the exact same thing. We just sometimes use different language around it. So let's yeah. start, let's start from step one for both of us. We have a paid consultation. We've talked about this in past episodes, so we won't dive into it too deep, but for us, it's both between an hour and a half, two hours. And that's where we're getting to know the client, the project needs, blah, blah, blah. Then we are able to propose on that because we are in this episode talking about our full service hourly yes. design, right? So this, um, we're not talking about, I mean, I don't know if it changes for flat fee, but um, needless to say, whether you're hourly or flat fee, I think this would be about the same. So we have- but this isn't really to do with e-design. That's what we're going to be touching on in a future episode. Correct. This really is for more full service type projects, whether you are hourly or flat fee. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. So step one is our consultation, which is paid. And after that we have step two, which is where we have our clients sign a contract and we accept a retainer. And that is how the project um, gets kicked off and not much work happens until we get that check. Now for Nothing billing, let's happen until you get that. Check. <laughs> no, no, exactly. Question for you. Do you do you accept payment for the entire design process up front or do you take a number of hours, um, payment for a number of hours first? I mentioned that my process hasn't changed much, but how I bill and what I charge and how that works has changed quite a bit. Okay. So right now I'm at a place where I take a retainer for, I try to estimate about 50% of the hours for design for phase one and take a retainer for that. But it's not a hard and fast rule. Sometimes it depends on the client, how difficult they're going to be, how big the project is. Mm -hmm. But basically, I have a 20-hour minimum for projects. So that's the, that's the minimum I would request at that meeting. 
Right. That's, that's what I do. I do a minimum of 20 hours um, times my hourly rate. And I accept that to start the project, even though design, the, the number of hours that I'm estimating for design could be more. I am considering taking all of that up front um, and, and working off of that. But so far I've just done the 20 hours. Um, okay. So next, well, actually before we go, there is a Bing boutique touch point here that I like to do after I've received that retainer and we've signed the contract. I send a quick little handwritten thank you note saying I am super excited to be working with you on this project and just thank you. So love it. Easy. I do the same thing. And it costs, um, the price of a stamp. <laughs> um, okay. So next, Step three is the site survey, and Leslie actually couples her trade day in on this same visit, which we'll talk about in a minute, but let's start with the site survey. So I think this looks pretty similar for both of us. It is a um, period of time where we come to the client's house and we take detailed measurements and photos and inventory of any existing furnishings or art that will be remaining. Mm -hmm. It takes several hours and we always do it with an assistant because trying to measure on your own can not only, I mean, it's inefficient. It takes forever. Um, so, and it can, it can just go much faster if you have an assistant, somebody with a clipboard who's writing down the notes as you're going through and measuring and also helping you handle the tape measure. If you've got a really large span, say of windows to, to do. Um, so for me, site survey is three things, measurements, photos, and inventory. Um, Leslie, beyond that, is there anything else that you'd include in that? No, that's the same thing I cover. And I second you on having an assistant, a junior designer, someone there to help you. You, you know, it, it does take more time and more people and therefore you're billing a higher rate, but you are half the time to do it. Really inefficient. Exactly. Doing it on your own switching. Right. I mean, you're, you're doing so much task switching between measuring and writing and picking things up and putting things down. Get, get a buddy. Yeah. Exactly. Even if that's like, if you're solo and you don't have anybody working for you, even if you can find a design school nearby, find a student, somebody that can help you and assist you just at least on that day, I highly, highly recommend it. Yeah, I also think that there's idea. a lot of room for error um, if you're switching back and forth from those two tasks. Um, so it's helpful in that way. I also have a checklist that I go through and make sure that I've you know, gotten all of the measurements that I need. Cause I, I used to always forget like to measure the ceiling, for example, or, you know, on my drawings where I'm hand sketching the room and putting down the dimensions, I would forget to write down things like, uh, where a vent was located. Yes, so coming, <laughs> so coming from Denver, a lot of our homes had, um, in floor vents, um, actually ours here, does here too. Um, and one time I designed, um, I put a table right a Parsons table. So it was flat on the bottom. It didn't have legs right over a vent. <laughs> so wow. I now own that table <laughs> and got the client a new one. I actually really love it. Um, <laughs> that's designer perks, I guess. So I make a checklist, make sure I go through and I check for any obstructions. I write down where plugs are, where data outlets are, where cable wires are. Um, in addition to like the windows and doors and door swings and all those things. Door swings are super important to know what direction things are going. Yeah. Okay. So we do the site survey. That's um, good. And then trade day is similar for both of us, except we do it at different times. So Leslie, you do it on the same day. Talk about your trade day and what it looks like. 
I often do the site survey and trade day together. I will say most of these are for projects where we're only tackling one, maybe two rooms. If it were a larger project, if it were a whole home, I would break them up because it's just too much time and brain power to mm-hmm. tackle in one sitting. But um, I was working on a kitchen project recently and you know, it was a pretty generous kitchen with a morning room and a utility room, but that we tackled in one big day. So we were taking our measurements, doing drawings. I love having an assistant there too, because it means she can be focusing on taking notes and writing down the details while I get to engage with the client, with the contractor and, you know, be the best face of the business and idea person, but not lose any details in the process. So if if it's a small ish, you know, one to two room project, I think it is doable one day, but Kate, I know that you do separate those into two separate meetings. Is it because of just your bandwidth and time or what does that look like for you? Yeah. If they're large, actually it's the same. Like if they are a large project, then I break them up. Um, but if it's a smaller project, I will do it all, all in one day. Um, but there is some period of time before you do the trade day just to coordinate. So my last big project in Denver was huge entire house, top to bottom renovation. And on that trade day, we had an electrician, a plumber, a a mill worker who was doing all custom built-ins. We had our window covering person. We had our carpeting person because we were going to be doing a runner up the stairs. Um, We had our uh, closet company because we were doing inside of several closets, master closet, laundry area, utility. Um, I'm losing count. There were more. (laughs) Painters, I'm assuming. Uh, Oh yeah. Painters. Thank you. And I think I said electrician already. You did. Yeah. Probably Uh, a GC or some sort of contract. I was was the general contractor. Yeah, girl. Oh, I don't, I don't actually do that anymore, but, um, I mean that, that was what I think I counted like eight trades. So the process of coordinating and organizing those people and scheduling them um, in half hour increments for one day can, it takes time. And my assistant, my assistant helps me with that. Um, On a much larger project, you have a general contractor. um, You can really interface with just that person. And then maybe you're meeting with a wallpaper installer or a professional organizer or somebody like that. Um, So that takes a lot of time. And if you're doing all of that, you, you don't have time to be measuring unless you've got a, a larger team, um, in which case yeah, um, I agree. they can be running on their own. So do what works for you. Trade day a little more because the verbiage trade day, mm-hmm. we know that because we're familiar with that, but some right. people might not know what we mean by trade day. I had a client look at my stuff and she was like, trade day, like, what are we trading? Like she really didn't understand, you know, trades oh, or yeah. contractors, but yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, I got that verbiage from Kimberly Selden, who not only does business coaching, but she was actually my first boss. Right. So that's just how I learned from working with her. But right. high level trade day is one day that you bring all of the trades, contractors, helpers, whatever you want to call them, that you would need for a project to come in and do their quotes. I love this concept, although it is hella hard to wrangle six or eight people to come all on the same day. It means minimal disruption to the client and a heck of a lot of decisions being made in a short time so that you can move forward efficiently. Okay. I have a question. Do you have your clients at trade day? Oh, girl. That's one of those things that I would kind of like them not to be, but it's their house and I don't feel comfortable saying, no, you can't be there. 
And I will say a lot of clients have offered valuable insight while the trades are there. Like sometimes, right. you know, you have an idea in your head and the contractor says, well, we can't do exactly that because of X, Y, and Z. Right. I actually like having the client there sometimes, even though it can yeah. be difficult. Yeah. I think they also feel more looped into the process. Exactly. And more aware of what's happening and they're able to, you know, you, at that point, you really only had a two hour meeting with them. You don't know everything. Right. So no, I think I, I say a, they don't have to, but I don't push it if they want to be there. Yeah. You, are you in the same? I do like for them to be there. I also realize a lot of my clients are busy professionals and may not be able to commit that kind of time. Um, but the one actually that, that one large top to bottom project that I had, that was a situation where she didn't have the time to come and be there. However, I think it was a huge mistake because, you know, when we had done our consultation and we had walked through the house together, she was dream wish listing so many things. Oh, that happened. And so I'm just like, you know, doing what I do and like, okay, these are things that she wants to have done in her home. It's my job now to put that together for her and show her what it would look like and what it would cost. And had she been at trade day and she would have heard all of the conversations that were going on and understood the complexity of what we were planning to do for her because she asked for it, then I think she would have understand, understood better, you know, what this was going to cost her. Yes. And so when she got sticker shock, um, that probably could have been prevented had she been a part of that a little bit more. So I do encourage them to be there. Um, however, I don't require it. Um, if they're not there, then I give them a quick download of what we talked about at the end of the day. So yes, I appreciate you bringing that up and explaining what trade date is because I think sometimes we just talk and take for granted that like we're speaking the same language, but not everybody might call it the same thing. Yeah. So that is, that is trade day. I also, one of the things that I try to do on a trade day is um, I try to prepare a request for proposal. So I have standard forms for electrical. I have standard forms for millwork. I have standard forms for wallpaper. And I create a request for proposal that I bring to the table. So I've already thought about what are the general ideas of things that I want to do. And I bring a draft. Of, I, I put in pictures um, and notes and drawings um, and I bring a copy for them and a copy for me so that they know exactly, and we may add to that or revise it. Yeah. We both know what it is I'm asking them to do and we have a copy of it and they can walk away with that and they can create their proposal, proposal based on that. And um, we bring that copy back and anything that we changed in the field, I will revise it and I will send them a PDF copy of it. So that request for proposal is a standard document that I use in my trade day, pro in my process and in, in my trade days. That's fantastic. So you're coming with a strong idea of what you want your trades to be doing and actually handing them documentation. And then you just discuss it in person together. How many times have you gone to a trade day and you're talking to somebody and they don't have a pen and paper? I, um, I mean, basically you're fired at that point, <laughs> but, but sometimes you don't have the luxury of like firing someone on the spot because my GC is awesome. And the man does not write a thing down. And I just, I scratch my head because I'm I writing things. Emmy's writing things. What? And oh or yeah. Pictures or measurements. Like, <laughs> no, but he, he kills it. He's a great yeah. contractor. And I've had to That's like prep clients and be like, Hey, by the way, he's a little quiet. <laughs> yeah. He's not going to write anything down. 
he's yeah. solid. Don't worry. But in my mind, I'm like, oh my God, dude, grab a pen. <laughs> like, yeah. can make it look like you know what I, you're doing? <laughs> yeah. For, uh, let me bring a pen and paper for you. Well, we've just learned. And I guess, you know, this is a good lesson for all of us to learn is that you can't be responsible for what you tell someone else. And, and what I mean by that is you also need to have the detailed notes and the descriptions and you need to have it all on your end. Like don't rely on a contractor remembering that you told him to hang the chandelier 33 inches above the table, write that stuff down, have it in your notes to be able to go back to it. Cause the number of times we've made on the fly decisions on a site told, you know, and told a trade directly. And then we didn't write it down because we gave them the information and then they come back to us like, what were we going to do again? I'm like, mm-hmm, you gotta be mm-hmm. kidding me, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't remember straight up because I didn't write it down. Well, and that's why we have the trade day forms that are specific for each different type of trade. And, you know, honestly, we could probably consolidate that at some point. But then when we get our proposal from them, we ask for them to itemize, you know, list out everything that we talked about. And if if there's something missing on their proposal, we cross-reference our request for proposal with their proposal. And if there's something missing, we send it back to them and ask them to revise it. So clients want to know why it costs what it does to IRS. It's like, because we cross our T's and we dot our I's, girlfriend. (laughs) Girlfriend, boom. (laughs) Okay. I love trade day, but it's a lot of work. It's so Um, much work, but it's necessary and it's necessary to do well and thoughtfully and it's necessary to follow these processes to make sure that everything happens as it should while you're managing a project. Let me, I'm just going to add to that. Every time I have, I really don't sway from my process very often. Every time I have, I've regretted it. I, I have that written down as one of our key takeaways of the episode to remind people of later. And 100%, (laughs) I agree with you on that. The times where it's been like, oh, well, it's only one, the room and we're just going to, nope, stick to the process. The number of times I've screwed something up, I've made an error, there's been an oversight because you didn't follow the systems that you know work. Yeah. Yeah, 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 totally. Okay. Well, I want to talk about the next step because it's one that you've done for a while. And for a long time, I was like, well, that step is kind of not useless or not necessary. It's useless. I'm not going to do it. And I started (laughs) organically doing it. And now I'm like, dang, Kate was onto something. This works so well. Awesome. So, so is this about, something that, is this a way that you've refined your process this last year? I will say, yes, it is a way I've refined the process. It is, I'm not going to say it's a full added step. It becomes part of the design planning, but I want to hear how you do what you call concept design because you're solid at this and it has been a legit step in your process the whole time. So what yeah. is concept design and what do you do at that point in the project? Sure. Well, the concept design has been ingrained in me from working in the architectural world. world. Um, It's always something that we do there. And it's like programming, right? We learn that in design school. We have the programming phase, and this is part of that. Um, Programming, I would say, is kind of a bigger piece of the site survey, the trade day, and the concept is, is all programming. So it's information gathering and planning before you get into actual design, which is design development, which we'll talk about in a minute. So concept design for me is critical step for a few reasons. Number one, it gives the clients a peek into what we're doing and what we're thinking, which allows us to build, continue to build trust with each other. You know, we, we, um, 
we do that in a number of ways throughout our process, but this is a really key one. It also puts them in the control seat of making some early decisions. So for example, right now I'm working on a, on a great room, living room space, and there were several options for how we could arrange the space. Um, either with a sectional or with a combination of sofas and chairs or with facing sofas. And so I include, let me real quickly outline what is included in the concept design. Um, it includes a proposed floor plan. These are basic sizes and shapes. Um, I have not selected actual pieces of furniture yet, but I can design and say, okay, I need approximately a 90 inch sofa here. X size chair here. I want a 36 inch round coffee table here and so on and so forth. So I'm just putting placeholders to show me basic sizes and shapes. So there's the proposed floor plan. There's a mood board that includes a color palette. Um, there are key design ideas that I outline with pictures and notes and arrows showing, okay, you see this picture. This is kind of what I'm thinking for over here with some notes about why. Um, and so I send that all to them in a PDF form for them to look over and then we hop on the phone or they send me an email to give me their feedback and approve things. So in the example of the living room layout that I'm talking about, the I realized, I, I knew that there were going to be several options for arranging the space. I wanted the client to make a decision on how they wanted to have that room arranged. Otherwise, when it comes to like picking out the pieces of furniture, if I haven't nailed down my layout, then I could be looking, going down the rabbit hole of a hundred different options for sectionals and chairs and swivels and tables. <laughs> and so this allows me to stay focused, number one. And number two, it makes the client commit. So by the time we show up at the design presentation, they already know they're going to be seeing facing sofas and a pair of chairs. And so there's no question about like, well, what if we did a sectional instead of the facing sofas? I was like, no, girl, we made that decision in the concept design and yeah. you wrote off to it and committed to it. So that's what we've designed. So you're not going back and redesigning just because the client is like thinking of other ideas after they've seen what you've put together. So for me, the concept step is critical. Um, and it really just makes the design process go that much more efficiently and smoothly because I'm, I know exactly what sizes I'm looking for and what shapes I'm looking for. So I can filter out all the noise of other stuff, of other shiny objects. And you know, I had resisted doing it because I had found, and again, this is learning from Kimberly, not that this is a bad thing, that this was just how her process was. She didn't do concept stuff when I was working with her. But I had found through Kimberly and through my own stuff, you know, say I showed a client a chandelier or a piece without the whole picture, mm -hmm. it often confused or overwhelmed them. Oh, I don't really like that finish. And it's like, no, no, you have to see the whole thing. And then I was like, you know what? I don't want to piecemeal this. I don't want to show them one or two things without the whole picture because they don't, they can't see our vision. They can't understand it. So that's why I'd resisted. But I think you do it in such a clear and deliberate way and it's not just like hey girl check out this cool chandelier i like for your house and they're like what oh the no, 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 no. Does it mean anything i it, this is very high level and i remind them of that because they do tend to look at pictures and get honed into the detail i want that exact thing yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I so i tell them i have a canned email that i send uh, canned email is like a email template, you guys. Yeah. So you don't uh, do this in person. You just email them over oh, a concept package? I email them oh, a cool. PDF okay. concept. And I'm not, and I remind them, I'm not, I haven't picked out anything yet. I'm not designing yet. This is looking at the mood 
of the space? How is it going to look? How is it going to feel? Is it going to be warm mountain modern or is it going to be like Southern living, like chic farm something? I don't know. I <laughs> so I also include language around the the mood and the vibe that tells the client that I listened to them when we were doing our consultation and that we're heading in the right direction and that they've been heard and that I, I've, I understand them and that builds their confidence even more. Yeah. So it's, it's very moody. Um, the images are, um, I, if, if you'll remind me, I can include a, an example of like my mood board and what that looks like. So you can see really high level. What does that look like? Um, on a client's end and just remind them like, don't hone in on the details. Think about the mood and the feeling. So that's the, where the mood board comes in. Those key design ideas. Like if I'm thinking about built-ins, I will try to find an image of some, something that is similar to what I have in my mind. Of course, this is going to be custom for the client, but I will show them that and see like, this is kind of what I'm thinking, but a little bit different. Like, do you understand that this is the direction I'm going? And they say, yes, obviously the floor plan, I just explained what that achieves. So I'm not showing them any specific items at this point. And hopefully the visual will help round out that idea. Okay. Yeah. We'll include that in the show notes for you. I think that's going to be great. Her mood boards, by the way, are sexy AF. They are gorgeous. I just got like all the feels because I, that is my favorite part of designing. I'm like, this is so fun. I could do this all day. Well, they're beautiful. And I think they're really effective too, which is a super win. So yep. Like you mentioned before, that is the one thing I'm tweaking in my process is adding this conceptual step because I've done it on the fly a couple times where I've gone to see a client and I happen to have you know, a backsplash and a floor tile I'm considering and a paint swatch and a picture of a rug. And I've just been like, you want to see? And they love it. And then I get good feedback and I'm like, okay, I get this. If I have enough to show them that's conceptual, Mm -hmm. they can get on board with the vision instead of showing up at a presentation and they're like, we, okay, not what we were expecting. Exactly. I love it. And it, and you're just that much further along in the design process. So I don't look at it as an extra step. I look at it as a part of the design process. It's just more formalized and you have this touch point with the client. Yeah. Getting the clients to get a sense of where you're going is trust building. So we have talked about step one, the paid consultation, step two, the contract and retainer, which is really the sign on step three, the site survey trade day. Step four for you is concept design. Mm-hmm. For me, that's already the proposal meeting, but I guess I got to have some other steps now. So the next step, step five, and I think this is where we should wrap it up today because this is going to be its own meaty topic. And then I think we need to split this into two episodes because there's still okay. a lot more to cover. Yeah. But step five is, for both of us really, well, for you, well, close enough. Step five for the sake of this right. is design development and then the presentation. So you've got your concept. Oh, I just heard the little Canadian come out in you. You said presentation. Well, what do you say? Presentation. Ew. (laughs) Presentation. I want want to hear on social media what you guys think. Is it presentation (laughs) or presentation? It's cute. (laughs) Stop it. Presentation. So anyway, step five, the design development (laughs) and presentation (laughs) with Miss Texas here. (laughs) Tell me what you tell me what design development is at KBID. What does that look like for you? What does your presentation include? I want to, because this, this is the importance. I mean, it's all important. This is the important stuff. This is the stuff that gets you in front of the client with like, here's my ideas. Here's everything I've chosen for you. Here's what's going to cost. Yeah. And doing this well is when you get 
their emotional buy-in and their dollar dollar buy-in. So yeah, yeah, yeah. tell me, tell me about your design development and presentation part of the <laughs> <laughs> design process. Sorry, I'll to be stop clear. Now. I know, I know that's how I said it, but to be clear, I say presentation. Okay. Tomato, um, tomato. To me, <laughs> exactly. I don't think it's too different than yours, but I will just recap. I am picking actual furnishings, fabrics, materials, tile, whatever the case may be. And I'm honing all of that and I'm making sure that everything works harmoniously together with color and scale and texture and light and dark and contrast and all of the, the feels there, the, the visuals. Um, I'm also looking at pricing and how, how much things cost. How long is it going to take to arrive? Um, is it worth the wait for that custom rug? Um, I apologize for the noise. My dog is trying to get into the dock door and it's locked. <laughs> so happy oh, we'll just have to wait, Norman. Um, I am nailing down the floor plan. So based on those final selections, I'm revising what we had, where we had put those placeholders. So if I had put in a 90 inch sofa, but we ended up going with like an 89 inch sofa or 92, whatever the case may be, I'm, I'm putting in those details. Um, I am ordering samples. I am receiving the quotes from my vendors and my contractors, and I am formalizing those, um, proposals and putting it into, we've talked about before I use gather, uh, Leslie uses Ivy. So I'm putting all of this information into gather and helping build that budget to create, um, specs or tear sheets, whatever you might call them. And, and really finalizing that budget. We will have another bigger conversation on budget, but, um, it's always going to be higher than what your client expects. And that's just a fact. Um, yeah, the la the last thing that is a new, so talk about refining your process. This is a new step for me that I am adding in. So in the past I have, I have these one page, what to expect next PDFs that I give to my client. This is also part of being boutique that I give to my client at different touch points. So after they've signed the contract and retainer, I send them this one page PDF that says what to expect next. We are going to be coordinating trade day. Um, and working on your concept design. After they get the concept design, they get a PDF that says, here's what to expect next. You're not going to hear a lot from us over the next six weeks, but I will touch base with you every Friday just to let you know how things are progressing and if I have any questions, blah, blah, blah. About a week before a presentation, I send them a what to expect next um, at the client, at the design presentation. And what this, what I've realized in the past is that our clients come to the design presentation not really understanding what all they're going to be seeing and what yeah. will be expected of them. So this is a time for me to remind them of that because we're giving them a lot of information and they're signing things and they're writing checks. And a lot of times they don't really understand what to expect next. And when you can remind them of this, then things will go more smoothly. So my what to expect email or PDF will include things like, at the design presentation, you can expect to spend, which we've already nailed down the, the date of that long ago, right? We, I, this is important to mention. When we do the um, contract and retainer, we set dates for the concept design, when to expect that. And when I need feedback from them, I give, I usually send it on a Thursday or Friday and expect them to get me feedback by Monday. So they have the weekend to look it over. Um, and I also set a date for the design presentation. Um, the site survey, we may not know exactly when that is, but 
we get there. Anyway, so the email says this is going to take about two hours or three hours or whatever it's going to take. Um, I will be bringing snacks and refreshments. If I'm going to their house, I will have them here if they come. Um, I, that's also being boutique. <laughs> You're so classy. I love that. <laughs> I mean, it's so simple and they love it. Although that same lady that didn't know what to expect because she wasn't on trade day. I didn't know she had all sorts. I asked if they have food allergies or dietary preferences now because um, I didn't then. And she's like, I can't eat any of this. And I'm like, oh, not the counts. I don't know. Like she, it was almost like she was pissed off. <laughs> like, sorry. <laughs> so anyway, I tell them, I want you to be prepared, mentally prepared to um, make some decisions and you're going to sign off on some things and you're going to give us approval to start ordering. And we are also going to expect a check on this day. And that is the big one that I have not done in the past. And I think we talked about this in a past episode, but in the client presentation, the clients were both like, Oh my gosh, we love all of this. It's perfect. Yes. They even added a whole bathroom to the scope of work. <laughs> and it was all in person, a generous resounding. Yes. But I use gather as I mentioned and I used to have clients go in and verbally approve or sorry, go in and manually approve all of the items which is sort of safeguarding it's like no you signed off on this it's approved um, but I no longer do that I do it in person in the meeting and I have Me them initial everything that is approved and we write notes on it um, and I have them say I, I expect to check this day for everything that is approved there will obviously be some reselections we will go back and reselect those um, you know, obviously if there's any funds left over at the end of this, you will be refunded. Guess what? There won't be. <laughs> I'm going to be asking for another check. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Yeah, yeah, I will be asking for another check. Um, but they didn't, they have never expected to like, I have had one client meeting over the, they were like, do you want to check now? And I'm like, yes, I do. Um, yeah, so I find that, you know, I know it's quote, good practice to be like, here's your presentation. We're going to take the check now. But I have to say, looking at it from the flip side, if someone was coming to me with a presentation and it was 99% stuff I hadn't seen before mm -hmm. and it was, it doesn't matter how much it is, it's 20,000 or a hundred thousand, I'd want the night to sleep on it. So I, there's part of me that like really would love to collect a check that minute and get her going. But I also understand that's a big investment and they might need the night to think about it before so they hand you a check. They know they're going to invest in this. Why would they be investing in me if they're not investing in the furnishings? Um, they There may be some reselections, but I am incentivizing them to make that decision in the moment by waiving a credit card transaction fee. Now, I know you can't, I couldn't do this in Colorado, charge a convenience fee, but you can in Texas. So check your local rules. Um, but if they um, are willing to pay for, you know, go ahead and fund this, in that moment, um, we can get started with the purchasing process. Um, we can, meanwhile, we can go back and reselect anything that maybe fell flat. Um, but I will incentivize them. Like if you make your payment today, we will waive a credit card fee. So if you have, if you get points, um, you know, or miles or whatever cash back for using a credit card, you can use that today with no credit card fee. Do you After, typically charge a credit card fee? A transaction fee? Yes. On, um, on, not on my services, but on product only. And you just um, do because in Texas where we it, both are, you they have an option to pay with a check too, if they yeah. want. But I know in Texas and it is different from state to state, but in Texas, you can't just pass on the fees. Yes, so, you can. No, not, it, ha it has to be a flat convenience fee. It can't be a oh. percentage of the 
it, it's all it's all subtlety and it's all language. So I mean, do your own research where you yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. 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 There there are ways to do it, but we can't just check a button that says charge the client these fees and it adds on three point two percent, whatever it might be. But in our state, we're allowed to charge a flat mm-hmm. convenience fee for credit cards. I, I yeah. Okay, you're right about that. I guess I. Language is so important that we, especially with this. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, do you, but so for your service invoices, you don't, but for product you do. And I think that's smart because it's so easy to get ding 3%, a 3% loss on your product margins. Yeah. is a lot. Yeah. 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 So that's just an incentive for them to just like, I want them to have confidence in me. They've, I tell them like, I have, I have done the thinking for you here. I have considered I have considered everything, the size, the price, the quality, the time that it's going to take to get here. Um, like these are solid choices. If there's a detail that you don't like, a, a color you want to change, like that's fine. Uh, but I really have, I really try to build their confidence in, in these choices so that they feel like they're making a good investment. Because I have, I like that's the design process. That's what you just paid me boatload of money to do the last few weeks. Are you pretty successful in collecting payment the day of step five, the design presentation? I haven't been in the habit of asking for it, but when I, the the one time I did, I got it. And so, and did I finish the story about when I came, I, I, my clients were all excited about everything in person. And then I woke up the next day and gather and I had asked them to go in and approve everything and like half of the stuff they had like changed their mind on because they yes. slept on it. You need to get them to commit while they're hot. I know. know. So we ended up going back and reselecting some stuff there, but like I literally like after the cl- that client meeting, I had gone through and calculated my markup and I was like doing happy days. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is a win. Cause I don't normally build my business model on making a bunch of money on product. I built it on my services. Um, anything above and beyond that is icing on the cake. And I it's was, gravy, baby. It's a lot of icing on the cake. This is great. Yeah. You know, and that's money that goes back into my business. I can reinvest in it. But, and I had calculated what that was and it was, it was very generous. And then after all those changes, I recalculated it. It's like less than half of that. So to me, this is just a way to get them to, to buy in and, and sign off and say yes. It's smart. I love it. I'm going to try it in three weeks and I'll let you know how it goes. (laughs) Yes. That is an area that I have struggled with just because I never want someone to feel pressured into it, but you're priming the pump. You're making sure they are ready and expecting to pay. You've Mm -hmm. showed them a strong, I mean, girl, you, you got your ish together. I love it. And I'm going to, I'm going to try to tweak that part of my process because I love the idea of capturing them while they're excited, while they're ready. Mm-hmm. And using that momentum, because you're right, the, the more time there is to sleep on it, the more hesitations come in, the more the other half of the partnership steps in and is like, you bring up a good point. Um, having spouses at the design presentation or partners or whoever, boyfriend, girlfriend, I don't care, whatever the case may be, if they're a decision maker, decision maker, they are required to be at the design presentation. I will not do it for one person. I have gone so far as to insist from day one that any and all decision makers are looped in on every email communication that's sent Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and are at every in-person. I mean, there's some in-person meetings where it is not possible. I understand and respect that, but yes, the biggins, they have to be there because I've had too many projects where one half of a couple has hired me (laughs) and we build this amazing rapport and we have fun and they love what we're doing and everything's great. And then suddenly the 
other half, typically mm. in my case, it has been a husband, but not always. Yeah. The other half shows up who has been nonchalant the whole time, doesn't really care. The decisions are up to the other person. And suddenly they have a heck of a lot of opinions when it comes to the dollars. And I've had a project shut down because of that, because the husband wasn't in the process. He wasn't looped in. He wasn't bought into me, to our mm -hmm. systems, everything mm -hmm. we were doing, mm -hmm. looked at the dollars and just said, bye. And that yeah. was it. And the project was over. It was, I mean, it, it was more complex than that, but it was awful. Yeah. And so that is a part of my process now is mm -hmm. any decision makers are looped in from day one. Right. And I had a client recently that the couple talked and they, they together decided the husband would not be part of the process. And they, I mean, they came to that decision. They informed me of it. So he did step back and he ended up, I mean, they were true to their word. He didn't, you know, try to interject or get involved. And that was an interesting case because usually couples appreciate being on the same page from day yeah. one. Yeah. But you know, I think you're really smart to insist that all decision makers are at the presentation meeting for sure. Yeah. Um, the most successful projects I've had is when both partners are involved in the process. Yes. Agreed. There's, there's extra work involved when the other person is not. Um, I agree. I always include them on all email correspondence and billing. I, would I highly encourage them to be available for the consultation, but I do, I do not insist. However, I do insist on the design presentation that they are there. Unequivocally. Yeah, that's not without a doubt. You're going to um, have and this is, I'm getting ready to present um, in a few weeks to some clients where I've actually never met the, the, the spouse. Ooh, this should be good. So it'll be my first time meeting him. <laughs> he is a CPA and we're in the middle of tax season. So he just simply hasn't had the time. Like he's, yeah. He's working like 10 hour days. So I'm, I'm not going to ask him of that, but we are purposefully scheduling our meeting for after his big, after April 15th. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So this idea of collecting a check the day of how much do you collect? Are you collecting the full proposal? Do you take a deposit? I take a hundred percent. Yeah, sister. I, I, um, I do an estimate for shipping and I explain to them that, so some of the shipping I know, like I know that this company is 10% for freight. I can estimate some other ones. Um, I do an estimate for accessories, but again, that's an estimate. I know some people leave that out completely until the end. Um, so I let them know that this is just an estimate and the actual shipping and receiving and delivery and install cost are going to be in addition to this. We do our best to estimate, but you know, it, chance it will be more than this. But this will get us going. This will allow us to purchase the product and get things going. And I also remind them that we have on our calendar set aside a cup, you know, time next week to start the purchasing process. Should you take? Oh, this is an important one. I've almost forgot to mention. Should you need the night to sleep on it, or the weekend, or whatever the case may be? That is fine but I give them a deadline. They have to give me feedback by X dollars, by X dollars, <laughs> however many days, you know, I usually try to present on Thursday. So if they need some more time, you know, that's fine. Look over. I need a decision by Monday on what is a green light yep. and feedback. Um, that same big project that I was telling you about earlier, that client, I didn't insist on that. And she, as I was leaving, she was like, thank you for this. I'm a slow processor. I'm going to need some time to, to figure this out. Um, Cause obviously it was more than what she was expecting. 
actually we did really well on that one. It wasn't much more. Um, um, and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday rolled around and I touched base with her and I was like, so how's it going? What have you thought? Have you thought about this? You know, meanwhile, we were starting on new projects and that window of opportunity for us to start ordering had, um, closed, you know, and, and it made it much harder. I explained to the clients, it's much harder for us to go back and squeeze in that purchasing after we've moved on to new, um, clients. Yeah. So take advantage and it's going to take us longer and it's going to cost you more money if we can't just sit down and like plug away at it, um, pretty quickly. Um, and we've already built that time into our calendar. So take advantage of it. Um, and, Oh, I just had a thought. There was one more thing that I was going to say that I do, but I lost my train of thought. Oh, it's Friday. Ultimately, what we're doing here is we're creating processes so that things don't get overlooked. We're managing expectations mm-hmm. and just doing doing what we need to do to make this all happen like the badass professionals that we are. Trying to be. <laughs> no, we are, girlfriend. <laughs> so I know this ended up being a juicier topic than we had anticipated. Yeah. So we're going to call this part one of an inside look at our design process. So that this has basically taken us from step one through step five. You and I both have, I don't know, seven to 10 ish steps. So there's more coming. Yeah. This has basically been from the start of a project to presenting the design and collecting payment to move forward. Next week, we will dive into what happens when you have that magical check from a client and have to make all the things happen you've proposed. So that'll be a fun one. There's a lot of project management processes things that are really important for that latter half of a project to keep momentum going and to finish strong with clients. I would really love to hear from our listeners too. Like what, was there anything in this episode that was new for you that you think you're going to add to your process? Um, Is there, are there things that you do that you think other people should add to their process? Cause it's really important for you. Um, We're hoping to create a community where we can really share our ideas and our thoughts and improve our process and and be better designers. um, So we have clients for life. Amen, girl. I think that's awesome. Well, thank you for grabbing your coffee and tuning into this very nuts and bolts kind of technical episode, but I love hearing different people's perspectives on this. And Kate, even though you and I do very similar businesses in the same place, there's still these subtle differences that not only set us apart, but also are things that we can learn from each other to improve. And like you said, I'd love to hear from our listeners if there's something, you know, that little boutique extra or another step that you found has just been really essential in rocking your design projects. Yeah. So let's just really quickly recap our key takeaways. So number one, if you don't already have a clearly defined process, write it down, figure out the steps. If you've never done a design project on your own, you're just getting started. Like just think for a minute, what, what would it take? Listen to our episode, listen, go back and listen and create one for yourself. If you've been doing this for a while, just go back again and revise it. Make sure that you've got it buttoned up and that you have a way to share this with your clients, whether it's in a graphic, um, whether it's just simply outlined in bullets um, or something that you talk about. But I think a physical, tangible thing that you can give your clients that lets them know that you've got a process will make them feel confidence in you, trust in you, and know that they've made the right decision to invest in you. Yeah. It's important to see things from the client's perspective because you might know your language trade day, for example, Right, but it needs to be, your process needs to be simple enough 
to clearly convey to clients what you do and how you do it. Now, behind the scenes, you might have a 20-page checklist to get through your process, but if you can really high-level it for them, mm-hmm. it's that whole idea, Kate, that you have of your, here's what's coming next, PDF, you know, what to expect next from us. Giving them the map is going to help them feel more confident because they can see how things are progressing to the end. Right. Yeah. No. And then the last key takeaway, once you have defined your process, follow it. I mean, you've done the work, you know, it works and errors happen when you go rogue, when you skip a step, when you, Oh, it's just a small project. We don't need a full site survey, whatever it might be, you know, and maybe clients are pushing you. Yeah. Maybe clients are pushing you to tighten up the hours or not do it, but you know what you need to do to run your business the best you can to get the best results. I hear horror stories on designer Facebook groups from people that are like, always stick with your process. Here's what's happened when I didn't. Right. True. So I'm excited to hear what you guys have to think about this and to jump into the last half of our design process. (laughs) Apparently we're done. Processes (laughs) next Friday. I'm going to get some more coffee now because apparently I need it. Yes. And my stomach's growling. I hope you can't hear that. All right, guys. Thanks for coming. We'll talk to you guys next week on Designers Getting Coffee. Cheers. Bye. Hey, designer. Thanks for sharing part of your day with us. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes so we can continue to connect with badass design bosses like you. For more Designers Getting Coffee and to join the conversation, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Designers Getting Coffee.